You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 39 and 40 is where we're going to be. And it's a longer text this morning, so uh, we're going to read responsively today. Go ahead and find and Once you find Genesis 40, um, go ahead and stand. We'll, we'll start with the last few verses of Genesis 39, and, uh, and then we'll read every other verse. I'll read one, then you read the next, and, uh, and we'll go down through the end of chapter 40. And, you know, part of the, part of the difficulty in, in narrative preaching, uh, preaching through a book like this, is this is one thought unit, this whole chapter. So if you're going to just take one verse uh, and preach that, uh, you don't really get the whole thought unit. And so sometimes you've got to tackle a large amount of scripture. And so we'll try to do that today um, and still be mindful that you have lunch uh, in, the pot, in the crock pot today. So um, Genesis 39 is where we're going to start verse 21. And we'll go down through the end of, verse, of chapter 40. So I'll read the first verse, Genesis 39, 21. Then you read 22, and we'll follow that pattern from then on. So Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? By the way, I'm just time out because I can while I'm reading. Um, do not interpretations belong to God? You know, Joseph is still thinking about God, even in prison. His mind is on the Lord and what God can do, even in that prison cell. He says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. 
the three branches are three days. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. encouraging verse 20 and it came to pass the third day which was pharaoh's birthday that he made a feast unto all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants but he hanged the chief baker as joseph had interpreted to them right this is, this is uh, I'm sure, common or well-known to many of you. Not everyone, of course, this morning. Um, but but this, is, this is such an insight into the character of Joseph. Because, you know, last week we talked about how Joseph just kept doing right. He just kept doing what he was supposed to do, even when he was sold by his brothers, even as he was a slave. And then he gets thrown into prison. He's still doing what he ought to do. And if... And he, if you want to be blessed like Joseph, you have to be consistent like Joseph. You know, that's what we talked about last week. But there's an important lesson uh, in a more detailed way that I want you to get. Here's a young man with plenty of reasons to be discouraged. Yet he chose to look past the flaws and focus on the opportunities. He looked past the flaws because there are plenty of flaws about his situation. But he looked past the flaws... And he focused on the opportunities. And on, there are going to be plenty of life flaws. There are going to be plenty of situations that aren't perfect. And whether or not you succeed with the Lord is going to be determined whether or not you look at the flaws or you look at the opportunities. Because even in the middle of flaws, there are opportunities. It just depends on you choosing to see the opportunities or not. And I want to focus on that thought this morning, flaws or opportunities Let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Thank you, Father, uh, for this. And I pray that you'd help me to convey it in a clear way. God, give us clarity. I thank you for your people and their engagement level already. We pray that you bless our time in your word. Bless the reading of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I read a story last year about an Ethiopian uh, marathon runner. And I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it for sure. Derara Harissa. And uh, he was a, from Ethiopia, an Ethiopian man who finished first in the Vienna Marathon last September. And I remember reading this when it came out. And he had crossed, he actually crossed the finish line, if you know anything about running marathons, in just over two hours and nine minutes. So it was a blazing fast. I'm not sure I could drive it that 26 miles in 
that amount of time, but I mean, he was, he was blazing fast. He, run the, he won the race outright, but 45 minutes after he was declared the winner, the judges came back and said, you're disqualified. And he asked why, and he, well, they said, well, when you registered for the race, you had this pair, a certain pair of shoes on. But we just realized today that you ran in a different pair of shoes that you registered in. And what he didn't realize is that the shoes that he was wearing in the actual race were one centimeter too thick for the four centimeter uh, maximum allowance for the race. And not only did the disqualification cost him thousands of dollars in prize money, but can you imagine then going through the literal agony of a marathon? The training, the time, the work, the sacrifice, only to lose it on a small technicality. And it's a shame to be so focused on something as big as a race that you miss a detail that costs you everything. But that can happen in life too, can't it? See, we can become so locked in on the big picture and so locked in on what we perceive to be what the big stuff that we forget that much of the success of life and, and, and the, or the failure of life is actually dependent on our attention to the details. I mean, think about if you, if you can hope, I think about our young people, and, you know, if you, if you hope to get a scholarship to college someday, that's great, uh, but you're not going to get a scholarship if you don't turn your homework in. Right. Yeah, you can hope to drive your car 200,000 miles or more, but you can't if you don't forget, if you don't remember to check your oil regularly. Uh, there, there's so many times that we focus on the big stuff or that we lose sight of the small stuff and we miss out on the big stuff because we didn't pay attention to the little stuff. I heard somebody say, if you'll treat the small things like they're big things, then someday you'll treat the big things like they're the small things. You know, we can become so focused on the big stuff that we lose sight of the small things, and we, but we forget that the big stuff is often dependent on our treatment of the small things. And I think about Joseph when I think about this principle and that Joseph had big dreams. You, you might even call him a visionary. I mean, he looked way ahead in the future. He had big dreams. He was a visionary. He embraced God's will for his life. And it was God's revealed will for his life in Genesis 37. Uh, God gave him these dreams about the sheaves and the stars. And the idea was God was telling him, you're going to rule someday. You're going to make a big difference someday. And Joseph has that in his mind. He was a visionary. But I'm thankful then, though, that Joseph wasn't such a visionary that, that he lost sight of the visible. See, we can be that way sometimes. That we can be so focused on the big stuff, so focused on the vision, so focused on the visionary, that we lose sight of the fact that there are visible things in front of us every day that still need our attention. And if we bypass the visible things, we may not ever get to the vision. See, God is, God is positioning Joseph in Egypt to be there uh, to preserve the chosen family. He's part of the chosen family. God selected Abraham. I mean, it was a floodlight before then. Then a spotlight was on Abraham. God selected Abraham to be his chosen man. This family was God's chosen family to implement his kingdom on earth and fulfill his plans on earth. And, and yet there's a famine upcoming that they don't know about. 
So God then began to move Joseph into Egypt so that when the famine came and the, and the chosen family needed to be preserved, that Joseph was in the right place at the right time. And that sounds great until you realize that God's plan to get Joseph there would not be a plan you and I would pick. Like you, would, you would think that maybe God would just call him out of Canaan one day and say, Joseph, go to Egypt, I've got big plans for you. Well, no, no, the way that it came about was that his brothers hated him because he was Jacob's favorite. And he had these dreams and they didn't like the dreams. And so they sold him, rather than kill him, they sold him as a slave, made money off their brother in a human trafficking endeavor. They sold him as a slave to Ishmaelites who took him down to Egypt and sold him, sold him there to Potiphar and he became a slave in Potiphar's house. Now the captain of the guard, Potiphar, was high up in, in the Egyptian uh, government. He was the keeper of the prisons or the chief executioner. Uh, however you want to look at it, he was important to the, to the uh, functioning of the prison system there in Egypt. And Potiphar was an important man and Joseph behaved himself wisely. He did right. He, he was diligent. Uh, he did what he was supposed to do at every turn. And everything was going well till Potiphar's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. This, this fine-looking and well-built young man, um, she started looking at him and cast her eyes and tried to seduce him to have a physical relationship with her. And he said, because he said, uh, I know I serve God, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What he was saying was, God has big plans for my life, and if I, if I disobey them, I forfeit God's plans for my life. No thank you. Hard pass. She didn't like that. So she, she takes his garment that he left and, and she uses it as evidence to say that he had tried to force himself on her. Potiphar comes home. She shows him the garment. She tells him the story. Potiphar, I believe, doesn't believe that Joseph was guilty. But now that his wife has made an accusation, he has to do something. And it was, a, it was an executable offense. It was a capital offense. Joseph should have been killed. But I believe the fact that Potiphar threw him into prison reveals that, that Potiphar knew the kind of man Joseph was. He knew his character. He also knew his wife's character. And he didn't believe his wife, but he had to do something about it. So he throws Joseph into prison. And, and he doesn't throw him. Now listen, he doesn't have him killed. He doesn't throw him um, into prison far away. The Bible says that he actually gave him the favor. In the, well, he sends him to the keeper of the prison uh, where the royal prisoners were. So Potiphar actually in some ways, and I'm not sure exactly how it all works um, because there's speculation, but it seems like Potiphar does Joseph a favor. So just more evidence that Potiphar is not believing what his wife is saying. But here's Joseph now in prison, and in prison he's, he still has his dreams. He's still a visionary. He still knows that God has big plans for him. And yet he doesn't bypass the visible and focus on the vision He's still well aware that every day he's got responsibility. And he, ser he, he, he serves in the prison just as diligently as he did in Potiphar's house. And before too long, the warden, the keeper of the prison, gives him oversight of the prison just like he had at Potiphar's house. Basically says, here are the keys, you're driving, I'm backing off, I'm going to go do my thing, you just control this. He was of su such consistent character that even the warden could trust a prisoner to do what's right in every circumstance. 
And you say, well, good for Joseph. It worked out for him. Wait, but he's still in prison. You know, he's still been betrayed by everybody he knows. See, here's the thing. Joseph could have been focused on the negatives. I mean, he was from the chosen family. He had big dreams that God told him he would rule one day. Yet there he sits in prison. He's been betrayed. He's been falsely accused. This isn't what he deserves. He, de- he deserves the palace, not the prison. But there he sits. And you know, we might think, well, at least he was in charge. Well, do you, I mean, do you think he valued control in prison over personal freedom? I don't think so. No matter how you spin it, this was not the way that Joseph would have picked. Joseph could have been focused on the dirty living conditions. He could have been fixated on the people around him. They were less than desirable peers. He wasn't getting notes of encouragement every day. There were were no cute kitten hanging there posters on the wall of his prison cell. No, but we don't find, though, Joseph dwelling on the flaws. One day, two prisoners come in. There's the butler and the, or the, the, the cupbearer and the baker. And these two, um, apparently they came directly from Pharaoh's house. They were the chief butler and the chief baker. And they had done something messed up big time. We don't know what it was. I mean, maybe they were accused of, of conspiracy against Pharaoh. Uh, maybe dinner was late or burnt or gross. I mean, I wouldn't know anything about that, about gross supper honey, um, you would never be in prison. But these two had offended Pharaoh in some big way and they're sent to prison to await their sentencing. Now it's different for them. Joseph is sent to prison to serve time. But the butler and baker are sent to prison to await sentencing. And they're waiting to find out what the judgment is. And because Pharaoh, we've already read it, Pharaoh was wroth against these two officers. They get placed where Joseph is. And the captain of the guard then charges Joseph to oversee them. So he's charged with providing them while they wait. And you know they're depressed. You know they're upset. You know they're thinking about their families. You know they're full of regret. And both of these men, though, apparently they have a dream on the same night, verse 5. It says, and they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night. So I don't know if they ate the same thing before bed. I mean, did you know it's possible to dream the same dream with somebody else? My dad says my sister and I did it one time. You know, when I was a kid, you, you have the big wheels. You, everybody, you ever have a big wheel where it's a big wheel? You know, it's before you can ride on two wheels. One time I got a new one for my birthday and I'd been riding around everywhere and my mom was out of town so my sister and I were real little and we were sleeping in the bed with my dad. It was a sleepover, you know. And my dad says he woke up in the middle of the night and my sister's saying, go Jason, go. And I was scooting down the bed like I was riding my big wheel. (laughs) So apparently you can be so connected with somebody you can dream the same dream as them. I don't know, I, I, don't, I never asked him if I like thunk went off the end of the bed or not. But here's the butler and the baker, and they have dreams about the same thing on the same night. And I mean, obviously, the, I don't know, the Lord is trying to tell them something. You know, and we think, well, this is just a coincidence. But when you realize how God used these circumstances to get Joseph to the palace, then you know God is behind this. 
God is working out these details. They dream the same kind of dream on the same night, and, but they're upset because they don't know what it means. And Joseph comes in, verse 6, and in the Captain Obvious verse of the chapter, Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Well, they are in prison. I mean, of course they're sad, but no, listen, that's, that's a sign of Joseph's character that he, was, he wasn't just perceptive of his responsibilities. He was perceptive about what people were going through. He was watching their face and he knew this was different. This was a different kind of sad. Joseph didn't look past people. And that's easy to do, isn't it? We're so busy and we've got a lot on our plates and we're in a hurry and we've got projects and it's easy to walk by people that are in need. But not Joseph. Look at verse 7. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house saying, wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I, I pray you. See, not only does he notice people, but he offers help. See, he, he notices people, but then he offers to help meet their needs. And his mind is on the Lord, he says, the, the interpretations belong to God. He can help you with this. And by the way, you're surrounded with people in need all the time. And you can go to them and try to fix their problems in yourself. Or you can go to them armed and equipped with God's word and actually give them something that can help them. I mean, God, no, God can help you with this. That should be our first stop every single time. And if you come in here with a need and you're, think, you're thinking, I don't know what, what can meet my need today. I don't have an answer for this. Well, you have an answer in God's word. And if you've come in this morning, and I'm just going to apply it right now, if you've come in this morning and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity when you die, listen, that's, that's on everybody's mind. It should be that someday you have an appointment with death, and if you don't know what happens after you die, you've come in this morning and say, I don't know where I'll spend eternity. Well, there's one place to find the answer, and it's not, it's not a denomination, and, and it's not a, a, a church building. It's the Word of God. And the word of God says, yes, you're a sinner, but Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place to die for your sins. And if you'll repent of your sins and believe and receive Jesus Christ, you can be saved this morning. I mean, I'm looking at three adults in this room over on this side of the room that have been saved in the last couple of weeks. Last few weeks here at Eastside, and they're sitting here, and they're ready to grow, and they're ready to take the next step. And, you know, they didn't come to me and find my answers. They, they looked at God's word and found the answer there. Amen. Listen, he's got the answer. And, and listen, if he rose from the grave, he can help you with your biggest problems. Amen. That's why we need to emphasize the resurrection all we can. Because he rose from the dead, and on that third day he conquered death, and he rose uh, uh, victorious, and if he can save you, and he rose from the dead, there's nothing he can't help you with. So Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the butler, the cupbearer, he gives his dream. He's in charge of the Pharaoh's drink, and, and just to summarize it, you, you read it already, there's a vine and off the vine, there are three branches. And on the branches, there's these blossoms, these clusters of grapes. And they're ripe and they're ready to pick. Well, no one, I mean, he's in charge of, of the drink in Pharaoh's house. Of course he's going to dream about grapes. That's what he does. And he says, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. 
just like before and when I worked for him. So I took the grapes and I, I squeezed them into the cup and so he'd have a drink and I gave it to him. What does it mean, Joseph? Well, Joseph wasn't like, man, that's a weird dream. I don't know. I mean, it is kind of a weird dream. I mean, just out of the blue. But Joseph doesn't dismiss him. You know, Joseph says, you know, um, I think we should seek the Lord about this. Interpretations belong to him. He says, he gives the interpretation that says the three branches are three days. And in the next three days, Pharaoh's going to, that will decide that whatever you did against him uh, wasn't your fault. He's going to lift you up out of prison and he's going to put you back in your position. And then I love what Joseph does in verse 14. He says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me, up out of, bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the, into the dungeon. I love this. See, Joseph doesn't complain. I don't believe he's complaining. I believe he knows God has a big plan for me. And I trust that God's going to work this out. So he tells the butler, just remember me, deal with me kindly. He says, if, if what I've done for you is of value to you, remember me when you're restored. See, this, I think it's a statement of faith. When you're restored and you're back where you're supposed to be, don't forget that, that, that God helped you in this, with this dream through me down here in the prison cell. And he says, I'm a victim of human trafficking. I don't necessarily deserve to be here. I was stolen from my home. But, so just remember me. You know, listen, I know most people in prison claim to be innocent, but Joseph really was. But he doesn't manipulate. You know, I, you know what I love about Joseph? He doesn't say, I will interpret this dream for you, but you better do me a favor first. Isn't that how we can be sometimes? Yeah, I'll scratch your back, but I want it in writing, you're going to scratch mine too. And we kind of, we, we'll help meet people's needs and we'll, we'll put ourselves out there. But, but, but if we don't get a thank you note, or if the pastor doesn't recognize us when he's talking about everybody from the pulpit. No, listen, when, when you are a servant of God and you're concerned about the needs of other people, you're not looking for rewards or returns. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're doing right, whether or not you get attention for it. And sometimes we, can, we get a little bit too enamored with the attention or the gratitude or the focus. And no, we shouldn't manipulate. We should just do what's right because it's the right thing to do. That's what Joseph is doing. He doesn't hold it over the butler's head. So after he gives the interpretation, here comes the baker. And the baker likes the sound of the interpretation. So he comes and he's like, do mine, do mine. I mean, that's kind of what happens. Oh, that's, do mine, here's mine, ready? The number three is in my dream too. You know, he said, but mine, you know, mine is three white baskets and it's full of goodies. Like chocolate chip cookies and um, some scones, some nice banana nut bread. He's talking about these things involved in his in the basket, and he um, and he says it's all tasty and it's good stuff. And so, so because it's a basket full of good food, and his interpretation was good, mine's going to be good too, right? 
Well, but Joseph looks at the baker and says, well, in three days, you will be out of prison. The good news or the bad news, you know. And the baker says, great. And Pharaoh says, uh, he says, and Pharaoh's going to lift up your head? Yes. And Pharaoh's going to hang you on a tree and birds are going to eat you. Great. Wait, what? <laughs> Can you run the numbers again? Because I think maybe something came out wrong. And now he's getting his job back and I want my job back. Well, sure enough, three days later, Pharaoh's birthday, there's a big celebration. And because he's Pharaoh, he can do what he wants. He lifts the butler out, restores him. He lifts the baker out and he hangs him and he goes to the birds. See, Joseph was right. And in a cruel twist that characterizes most of Joseph's journey, the butler forgot about him. And listen, here's another thing. When you are, are looking to meet the needs of other people, uh, don't, don't look to see what you're going to get in return. And, and expect that people aren't going to be jumping up and down to thank you and remember what you did for them. This is the nature of people. Is that even when we put ourselves out there and, and we, we don't do it for our return or our gain or our reward, the chances are that people are going to forget and you're not going to get what you feel like you deserve in return because the butler in this cruel twist of fate, the butler forgets about him. And there's so much irony in this story because Joseph didn't have to take the time to be a help to anybody. He could have just done what he was doing, carried on about his business, but he was concerned about people. And even when, he people, even when the people that he's concerned about don't concern themselves with him. But see, here's the reason, and here's the lesson that we can learn from Joseph in prison. And yes, life is full of flaws, and they're big enough to fixate on. I mean, you don't have to look far to find the shortcomings of life. And all of us have lots of plenty of reasons to be discouraged. The bills are piling up. There's more month than money. And you get passed over in the promotion. You're treated unfairly. You're betrayed or you're forgotten about. And if you want, the flaws of life could become your focus very easily. But here's a lesson from a young man. Is you can focus on the flaws or you can focus on the opportunities. So you could be focused on how hard everything is or you could be focused on the people that God has placed right there in your path. You could be so focused on the vision and so frustrated that it hasn't come yet or you could stop and pay attention to the visible people right there in front of you. You could be so discouraged that you withdraw from everybody or you could recognize that God has you where you're supposed to be because there's somebody in your life that needs some help from you. See, here's the thing. When you focus on the opportunities, you're going to find that you don't have time to be fixated on the flaws. It's amazing how unselfish we get when we look for opportunities to be a blessing. You might even discover that there are more opportunities to be a blessing than there are ways to be disappointed. Our problem is we're so focused on what doesn't meet our expectation that we let the opportunities to be a blessing slip us by, pass us by. Here's what we have to come to terms with. There are flaws everywhere. People are flawed. Your job is flawed. Your family is flawed. Your bank account doesn't even have enough money in it to be flawed. 
Your gro- you, the grocery store is flawed. Everywhere you go, your car, your house, there's always something to fix. You name it, it's not perfect. And you're flawed too, by the way. And I am too. So knowing that, then we have a choice to make. Am I going to focus on the flaws or am I going to see the opportunities? What about at work? You're so discouraged right now because at work, you're, the work environment is such that you, you, I mean, you just don't enjoy it. You fail to see, uh, you, you, you just fail to see the point. And you're so discouraged at work and you're so discouraged about the people you work around and you're disappointed in them and you're just not enjoying it anymore. But you forget that yes, there are flaws at your workplace, but the person in the cubicle next to you might be the next opportunity for you to talk to about Jesus. It could be that God placed you in a place with a flawed person next to you, but if they're flawed, it means there's an opportunity. Because if they're not perfect, there's room for improvement. So we need to stop looking at the flaws and thinking that defines our every experience and realize, no, where there's a flaw, there's an opportunity. There's there's an opportunity for growth. There's There's a chance to make a difference. And yes, those co-workers are not perfect, but who else there is going to tell them about Jesus Christ? Who else is going to encourage them on their lowest days? Uh, Don't lose heart. God knew your job wasn't full of perfect people, but he placed you there to be a blessing. What about, I'm thinking about some of our young people going to college. Some returning and some new. And there may be things that you, you go and you're disappointed in the things that fail to meet your expectations. But you're going to miss an opportunity to encourage a fellow student or reach somebody who's ready to throw in the towel because all you focus on are the flaws. God's plan for you is to go where you're supposed to go and finish school and learn and grow and get all you can out of it. But focusing on the flaws means you may miss the reason you're there. You're there to grow and you're there to be more like Jesus Christ. You're there to be a blessing. And those are things anybody can do even in an imperfect environment because Joseph did. Listen, your friendship or your kind word might be the one thing that somebody needs to avoid being a casualty. Are you going to go and focus on the flaws? Are you going to go and see the opportunities? I think about parenting. You know, it can be discouraging raising small children and big children and any children. And you may be feeling it right now, and, and, but every child is an opportunity. But you're like, man, I'm like Joseph. I'm in, I'm in a prison cell. And I, I'm raising a sleep terrorist And at every turn, you know, they're not letting me sleep and I'm taking care of them. And moms especially, you feel like you're you're trapped and there's no end and no sleep and they're always sick and you can't go anywhere and and there's no husband time without interruption. and, And yet it's an opportunity because God chose you to raise those children. Of all the people on planet earth, he gave you your children. He's a sovereign God. And, and listen, we stay away from that term sometimes um, because we, we, we don't believe that God chooses who gets saved. But God is a sovereign God and he knew who your children needed as parents and he put them in your house under your care. Listen, you have an opportunity to raise them to be like Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's hard to look past the flaws. 
say, but look how far they have to go. You might consider the fact that God gave them to you. Where there are flaws, there are opportunities. Don't miss the visible moments. Those special moments that are right in front of you because you, maybe you're impatiently waiting on the end product. Listen, if they're anything like you, the end product may be a long ways away. None of us are the end product. But you're going to be waiting a long time. Don't miss the moments while you're waiting. Think about our teenagers. Here's a secret. Ready? Your parents aren't perfect. They don't look surprised. <laughs> they don't look awake. Okay, they don't look surprised. No, listen, if you focus on the flaws, you're, gonna struggle, you're not going to struggle finding them. And you're raised by imperfect parents, my kids included. But too many young people, they get hung up on the flaws of their parents and they use that as an excuse to dismiss everything their parents have taught them. See, your parents may be imperfect, but the truth of God's word is not. Don't dismiss the truth that you've been taught and raised with simply because maybe the conduit through which the truth came wasn't always perfect. Young person, be thankful that your parents have put you in a position to know the truth. They put you in a position to know God. Listen, there's a lot of young people in this world, in this planet, that would love to be in your position. That They would love to have parents that love them enough to bring them to a church on Sunday where they can hear truth. And they can be around other people that love them. Listen, don't, don't dismiss what your parents have taught you just because your parents are flawed. That doesn't change the truth of God. And it doesn't change the fact that you have a perfect father. Your heavenly father. Where there are flaws, there are opportunities. Church member, talk about flaws. Not church members. I mean churches. Listen, it, it won't take you long. It won't take you long to walk around Eastside and, and realize that there are plenty of flaws here. And, and that's not rare. Because there are no perfect churches either. And just like every family, I mean every church family has its flaws... So don't seek perfection because you're not going to find it. But, but what I will tell you is that you need to seek a place, though, that, that admits they're imperfect but lifts up perfect truth. Because, listen, we know we're not perfect. We know we have a long ways to go, which is why every time we get together we open this book because we need it. We need God's perfect truth to help us and change us into what we're supposed to become because we know we've got a long ways to go. So if you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it at Eastside. But you will find a group of people, a church family that lifts up the perfect gospel and lifts up the perfect word of God and proclaims it every time we get together because we know this is the only answer that we have. It's not about us. It's about our Father and His truth, and that's why we proclaim it and lift it up. If you're looking for a church, perfect church, you won't find it here. But if you're looking for a church that, church that lifts up truth, then that's, by God's grace, that's what we're trying to do. Amen. If your family needs a place to plug in and grow, then find a place that lifts up truth. As a church, you know, some of you have been in ministry, in your, your ministry, for a long time. And after you've been serving in the same place for a long time, it can become easy to only see the flaws. I just want to encourage you, if you're involved in children's ministry or 
you're involved in choir, you're involved in, in outreach, whatever it is, there are plenty of flaws, there are plenty of things that don't go well sometimes, but, but every person you minister to is an opportunity to invest in somebody to be more like Jesus Christ. Those kids are opportunities. Where there are flaws, there are opportunities. I think about marriage. They say familiarity brings, breeds contempt. It can happen in a relationship. We can become so familiar with each other that we only see the flaws and we miss the opportunities to be a blessing. But husbands, let me remind you, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And listen, Christ loves a, a, an imperfect church. We are flawed people and Christ still loves us and he gave himself for us and he continues to give himself for us. Husbands, that's how we're supposed to love our wives. We're supposed to look past the flaws and love and give. And wives, your husband's not perfect. You're not surprised about that either. Nobody knows that better than you. But rather than hold him to a standard he can't keep, look for opportunities to encourage him in the things that he does well. See, a worldly marriage these days, a worldly marriage just dismisses a marriage because of the flaws. But a godly marriage loves their spouse in spite of the flaws. And there are some times that the flaws, you might even appreciate the flaws because they're human. So that's the Christ-like approach to marriage is that you work through the flaws and you love and respect because that's what God tells us to do. Listen, that's our greatest motivation. What if Christ only focused on your flaws? See, we're full of them. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. But when God looks at us, he doesn't just see the flaws. Now, he knows the flaws are there. But let me just remind you of a verse in Romans 5. But God commended his love toward us in that, what's the next phrase? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the point there is that Christ knows we have flaws. And he loves us in spite of them. Not only that, I mean, he does something nobody else can do. He doesn't just love us in spite of our flaws. He actually did something about our flaws. And he went to the cross and died in your place, in your stead, so that you could be saved. Because those flaws will send you eternally separated from God to a place called hell. But Jesus Christ died to pay for those sins so that if you'll receive him as your savior, place your faith in him, repent of your sin, turn to him. He'll forgive you of your sin. And you know what he saw? Instead of your flaws, he looked at you as an opportunity. An opportunity for redemption. Amen. And this morning, listen, he's, he, he's, he hasn't stopped. I, when he came to earth, Jesus stopped at the blind men. And he stopped at the, blind, at the lame men and the deaf and the lepers and those that were in need. But he still does that. And this morning, uh, I believe that the Lord is, even right now, he's maybe stopping at your pew. And you may feel, I'm so flawed, nobody could ever love me, except that God loves you so much. He knew you were flawed. He still loved you beyond what anybody could ever love you. And right now, right now, he stops at your pew, and he's knocking at your door, and he's saying, yes, you're flawed, yes, you're imperfect, but I love you with an everlasting love. And I've already proven it on a cross. And this morning... Listen, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you die today and you don't know that you'd spend eternity in heaven, you have a father that loves you, flaws and all. He doesn't just love you in spite of your flaws. He loves you and did something about your flaws. He died, sent Jesus to die on a cross 
for your sins. And now you have an opportunity. And your opportunity is receive Christ as your Savior and spend eternity with him in heaven forever. Would you be willing to do that this morning? To the Christian, to those, somebody that may already know that you're saved today, let me just remind you that Jesus Christ stopped for you. Amen. Flaws and all. He loves you. He takes time for you. But there's somebody at your workplace that needs you too. And they need somebody to be to them like Jesus was to you. And there's somebody, young person at your school, that needs you to be to them like Jesus was to you. To stop and listen and pay attention and love and meet your need. There's somebody in line at the DMV. Say, well, that's a flaw. Yes, the line at the DMV is a flaw. It's a 30-minute flaw. Or it's a 30-minute opportunity. Because every time I've been there, there's been people in front of me and people behind me. And yes, they're angry. But there's an opportunity there. And yes, there's, yes the, the drive-through line is a flaw. But the person that's handing your food to you is just probably as frustrated as you are. So therefore, there's an opportunity. And yeah, you walk the halls and, and there are people, imperfect people at East Side, and there are plenty of flaws. And you may have a history with somebody. You may have a past with somebody. Yes, there's flaws. But you know what? There's also opportunities. And every day there are people with flaws, but that means also every day there are people with opportunities. Every Saturday we try to knock on doors and invite people to church, and behind every door is a flawed person. But there's also standing on their porch is a flawed person. Who at one point Jesus Christ said, no, you're an opportunity and you've been redeemed and we want to share that message. And listen, you can be discouraged by the flaws or you can be encouraged by the opportunities. Which one are you going to focus on? When you stand before Jesus Christ, which answer do you, do you think has more, uh, more depth and meaning? Which answer do you, would you feel better about? Father, yes, I know I didn't do much for you, but did you see how flawed everything was? I didn't really have time to do what I should have because there was so much to complain about. I mean, is that going to ring true? Is that the answer you want? Or will your answer be, do you want your answer to be this? Father, I know my situation wasn't perfect. And I know, I, I mean, I know I wasn't perfect. I know I'm flawed. But I did try to live my life and see opportunities in people. Which one do you want to stand before Christ with? Because you have the option today. You can live your life focused on the flaws. Or you can live your life focused on the opportunities. And I'm telling you, there's one that's really rewarding. It's not this one. It's this one. Focusing on the opportunities will put you in a position to stand before Christ with reward and confidence and hear him say, well done. But if all you ever do is focus on the, on the flaws, you'll stand before him with nothing to show. Because all you ever did was focus on the negatives and you missed the opportunities. I'm thankful that Joseph, as a young man, wasn't so focused on his surroundings that he missed people. Listen, let's, let's be the same kind of person. And let's not focus on the flaws, let's focus on opportunities. Because I'm telling you, they are all around us, everywhere, every day. Will you focus on the flaws or opportunities? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you a couple of questions today. Let me just ask you this. Do you know that you're saved? I'll start with that. Do you know that if you died today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? 
And if you do, if you say, yes, I know 100% for sure, I know that, would you raise your hand just all around the room? And I'm thankful. Nobody's looking. Thank you. Put your hands down. But if there's anybody here today that you say, I don't know if I died today, I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm not sure. And I, and I just, with a, just a raise of my hand, I just want to publicly acknowledge that we're not, nobody's looking except me. I'm just going to pray for you. You say, I don't know if I died today that I'd spend eternity in heaven. And I just want to acknowledge that. Is there anybody here today, you would just raise your hand and you'd say that. I'm not sure. Just real quick, looking around the room. Anybody here that say, yes, I don't know. So, so by your own admission then, then today, then you, you say, I know that I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. So let me ask you this question. Have you been so preoccupied with life that you, all you've done is focus on the flaws and you're missing opportunities with people? Would that in some way summarize the way that your life has been going lately? Maybe you've been focused on the negatives you're missing. I see hand over here. It was at, I see your hands in every section. Every hand, yeah, every section, there are hands everywhere. Listen, if God's prompting you today, you can be like Joseph and you can be like Jesus Christ and you can stop and slow down and look for the opportunities, look past the flaws and see the opportunities. God wants to use you to make a difference in people's lives just like Joseph. And if you'd be willing to submit to that this morning, then you can make a change with God's help and his spirit's help today. You can make a change in the way you've been dealing with people. Let's stand together and we'll open the invitation. I'll pray, but if God's prompting you to, uh, to make a decision this morning to stop focusing on the flaws and start seeing the opportunities, why don't you do business? We already have some that have been responding and if that's the case in your life too, why don't you take a moment to step forward and come get that right with the Lord this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this message and to hear the truth and how you've worked on me about it. God, I pray that you'd help each of us then this morning to be confronted, Lord, and examine ourselves to see if we've been focusing on the flaws and missing the opportunities, maybe with our wife, our husband at home, with our kids, at school, at work. God, we're just so focused on the negatives, we're missing the, the positives. We're missing the opportunities for change and for God to work. God, help our focus to be your focus, and that is people. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.